My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. With these words, the sons of Korah, the, the people that wrote this psalm, expressed their joy and their delight and their zeal as they entered into the temple of God to worship him and to praise him. And, and can you blame them for a yearning like that? You see, the temple was the place where God told his people, this is where my presence will be found. And so whenever people wanted to worship the Lord, whenever they wanted to bring their sacrifices, whether it was their sacrifices to the altar or their sacrifices of prayer or their sacrifice of their gifts or the sacrifice of their praise, they knew that if they went to the temple, there they would find God, there they would be in the presence of God, there God would receive them. And they knew that their God was a gracious God, and their God was a merciful God, and their God was a loving God. And so God who was present there in that temple would be the God who would help them, and the God who would deliver them, and the God who had saved them. Jesus had this zeal and this joy that was expressed by the psalmist as he gathered with his, his brothers and sisters, with his mother, with the people of Capernaum, and as he traveled down to Jerusalem for the annual Passover pilgrimage. And even though he was true God, who took on human flesh, he was entering the house where his father made himself known. And here he had the opportunity to commune with his father as he brought his own prayers and as he brought his own praise. And as true man, he worships in accordance with the laws laid out for the celebration of the Passover. And Jesus' zeal and Jesus' joy were met by all the other pilgrims that were streaming into Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. Now, now, sometimes we hear that, that Jesus was joined by the crowds who were going into Jerusalem for the Passover, and we think, yeah, it's a crowd. It's like a, a busy day at Macy's on Black Friday. And so it's helpful to, to pause for a moment. The, the Roman government was, was actually very interested in the amount of people that were traveling from place to place to place. And so one year, the Roman governor asked the high priest to take a census of all of the Passover lambs that were being set aside uh, for the people that were coming into Jerusalem for the Passover. And it was the Passover lambs because as people sacrificed the Passover lamb and then ate the Passover meal, a minimum of 10 people were required for each lamb. And so if, if he knew how many lambs were being set aside, he would know approximately how many people were coming to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. He would know how to prepare uh, for everything going in. Well, that year, the high priest reported back to the governor that 256,000 Passover lambs were being set aside for the Passover, which means that the high priest was expecting 2.5 million people to come into Jerusalem and to come and worship at the temple with this zeal and this joy as they celebrated the Passover. And the high priest was responsible, along with the other priests, of ensuring that all 2.5 million people would be able to celebrate that Passover and be able to worship and be able to offer their sacrifices and be able to take care of everything else they needed to do 
because for most of them, this would be probably the only time they ever made it to the temple in Jerusalem for the Passover. And so while the people were there, they, they, they sacrificed the Passover lamb and they ate the Passover, and they also took care of any other offerings that they wanted to bring before the Lord's temple. They also took care of the temple tax that was owed for each person in their family. And all of this had to be done by providing animal vendors so people could buy the lambs and providing money changers so that people could use the official currency used by the temple as they, they paid their temple tax. And all of the other services that 2.5 million people would require as they descended into this town for this week. And so you have throngs of people streaming into Jerusalem, throngs of people that are filled with zeal and filled with joy, throngs of people who are yearning to be in the court of their Lord, because there they would worship, and there they would pray, and there they would offer their sacrifices, and there they would celebrate the equivalent of our Easter and our Christmas combined. And as they worshiped, they had a chance to know that they stood in the presence of God, the God who, who poured out his grace on them, the God who revealed his mercy to him through his name every time it was declared. The God who pointed to them his salvation as he pictured it in the Passover lamb. And they remembered the way that God had delivered them in the past again and again and again. And Jesus joined this crowd with his zeal and with his joy as he went to the temple because he knew, along with all those people that came, that as they worshipped, they would be strengthened in their faith and they would be fortified to continue their pilgrimage through this world. Except when Jesus arrived in the temple courts, he found a scene that contradicted the purpose that all those people were streaming into Jerusalem to see. Because as he entered the temple courts, a cacophony of noise met his ears. Those who sold the animals had set up the holding pens for their animals in the temple courts. And so as Jesus entered the courts that were reserved for worship, he heard the, the bleeding of sheep and goats. He heard the lowing of cattle. He heard the cooing of doves and pigeons. And then on top of that, he heard the, the, the shouts of money changers trying to get people's business over at their, their tent. He heard the noise of haggling as people negotiated prices back and forth. And that cacophony of noise filled the air so that it had drowned out the sound of people who were praying. And the sound of of their worship competed with the bleats of goats and the teaching rabbis competed with the sound of people haggling over the price of their sacrifice the people that came into the temple with that zeal and with that joy and with that excitement that here was the place to worship god here was the, the place to come into his presence were overstimulated by the noise of a marketplace that had taken over the temple courts. And it's in the midst of this cacophony of, of noise that the crack of a whip sounds. And at the crack of the whip, those animals that had been penned up are driven out of the temple courts. And the clang of, of coins hitting the stone pavement rain throughout the courts. 
And there were shouts, and there was anger, and there were tables being overturned. And then it was silence. And in the midst of that silence, you started to hear the sounds of people's prayers rising up into the air. You started to hear the sounds of people's praise as they worshiped their God who was present in that temple. The sound of the rabbis teaching in the courts to those people that came to learn from the prophets could be heard. And all of this whelmed up into a glorious symphony of praise to God who made his presence known in this temple. Jesus entered the temple knowing and understanding that his Father made his presence known there. As the people entered that, those courts, they knew that they would find a house of prayer that God had established for all nations. They knew that here in this place they had the opportunity to worship their God. They had the opportunity to be instructed in the words of the prophets. And when Jesus saw how the markets had crept into those courts and overwhelmed the prayer and the praise of the people who were coming and entering into the presence of God, the jealousy for his father's house moved him in love to clear the distractions and to clear the clutter so that the sounds of a marketplace would no, lent, no longer interrupt the worship of God's holy people, all 2.5 million of them. God made himself known in that temple. And in Jesus' zeal for his Father's house, he sought to ensure that, that, that God's people would be able to worship him there. Well, well, let's fast forward a bit to today. The psalmist's words still ring true. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. But you may have noticed that, that a few things have changed since that day that Jesus entered the temple in Jerusalem into the courts of his father's house. In the past, God made himself known at the temple. He told the people, whenever you seek me here, you will find me here. Whenever you seek me here, I will hear your prayers. Whenever you bring your sacrifices here, I will receive your sacrifices. He restricted his presence to that place so that his people would know to, where to find him no matter where they were in the world. Whoever wanted to call upon the name of the Lord, whoever wanted to bring their offerings to the Lord, whoever wanted to praise the Lord knew that they could go to the temple and there they would be able to accomplish everything he had done. But, but we don't live in those times anymore. We live in the New Testament times where God reveals his presence to us in another temple, in the incarnate Son of God, our Savior. In Christ, God is found. Because anyone who knows Jesus knows the Father who sent him. And anyone who listens to Jesus listens to the Father who sent him. And so our hearts and our eyes and our zeal focus their attention on Christ. God incarnate who dwells with us. He becomes the focus of our worship because he alone becomes the focus of our hope. 
He alone becomes the focus of our salvation, and he alone is sitting at the right hand of God, ruling over all things. And so as you gather here today in Grafton instead of Jerusalem, you have the opportunity to express the same zeal and the same joy and the same excitement that the people of Israel had as they celebrated the Passover so long ago. Because you yearn to be in the presence of God. And you know that God reveals himself in the living word in his son Jesus. And you know that Jesus continues to come to you through his holy word. And he continues to reveal himself through the waters of baptism. And he continues to draw your eyes to him as you receive the Lord's body and blood. And so as we gather together, and as we focus on our Savior, in whom God dwells, we find our peace, and we find our comfort. And it's as we focus on Christ that we're able to bring our sacrifice of prayer and our sacrifice of praise, and our, our sacrifice of our gifts. Because as we focus on Christ, we discover that our worship flows from our hearts as well as through our actions. Now, when my family was getting ready to move here last summer, one of the things that we did was look through our house. And it's amazing how much you collect when you live somewhere for a while. So we looked through our house and we started decluttering, getting rid of all the stuff that we didn't need anymore. And after we got rid of the clutter, it became easier to actually focus on the act of moving, of, 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 of leaving one home and, and coming here to Grafton. But until you get rid of the clutter, you don't realize how distracted that, that you've become. It's very easy for us to allow the distractions in our life to start to clutter up our heart little by little by little as we carry out our own lives of worship. We want to think that our hearts always have a zeal for the Lord. We want to think that like Christ, we are always rejoicing as we enter into the house of our God. We want to sit there and say, yes, we are honoring God. Yes, we are worshiping God. Yes, we are bringing our prayers to God. Yes, we are like Jesus because we have the zeal that Jesus had. Except we're not Jesus. In fact, as, as we look at our heart, it's, it's very easy to see our hearts start to be filled with our own sellers of animals and our own money changers those things that, that clutter our hearts and have a way of taking our eyes away from our God and taking our focus off Christ and starting to focus on other things instead. And so what do we do? We find ourselves starting to schedule ourselves, Schedule ourselves so full that instead of making the worship of our God our priority, that's something that we fit in when we have time. Or as we arrive to worship, our, our, our prayers are clouded because we're grumpy. We didn't get to sleep in this morning. Or as we, we take out our, our envelope out of our box so that we can turn in our offerings, we look at it and, and maybe we're not as cheerful as we usually are as we, we bring our offering. Or you get here and you, you complain about the way other people are acting. Or as you say the Lord's Prayer, you start thinking about all those other things that you need to get done today. 
Or as, as you pause and contemplate the Word of God, you find all the stress and all the worry and, and all the things distracting you from, from focusing. And these things have a way of, of sneaking into our hearts and cluttering that heart and causing a cacophony of noise that pulls our eyes away from Christ and diminishes the worship and diminishes the praise and diminishes the prayers that we bring to him. But Jesus does not let us go. Jesus has a way of, of stopping us and pausing us and clearing that clutter away, not with the crack of a whip, but with a promise that he made. Because even though his temple, his precious body, which was destroyed for us on that cross, his temple was raised again on the third day. And through his resurrection, he has a way of clearing our heart and drawing our eyes back to him so that we can focus on him once more. As he points us to his resurrection, he has a way of restoring us. He has a way of making us whole. And as he does so, he has a way of, of rejuvenating that zeal that we had and rejuvenating that joy that we had. Because as our eyes are focused once again on Christ, and as our eyes are focused once again on, on the seal of his resurrection, which he gives to us, our eyes are reminded of the love that he pours out on us as he removes our guilt. And as we focus on his resurrection, we have the assurance that we continue to remain in his presence. And we have the assurance that he continues to be with us wherever we go. We have the reminder that we can say, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. And so our hearts are filled with joy. And our hearts are filled with zeal as we come to worship our Savior. Because in Christ, God has made himself known. And in Christ, God has come to dwell with us. And as we look at Christ, we see the one who forgives the sins of those who are repentant. We see the one who provides strength to those who are weak. We see the one who provides hope to those who are despairing. We see the one who provides rescue to those who are lost. As we focus on Christ, we find the one who clears our heart from that, from that clutter. So that as we bring our worship and our praise and our prayer to a God, we can do that with a simple and clear focus on Christ who dwells with us. Amen.